Welcome back to the Jumping Scared Podcast. This is Eric coming at you with another solo review. About a bunch of you guys were looking at the calendar and thinking to yourselves, is the Jumping Scared Podcast really going to let a Friday the 13th go by without releasing any content? Rest assured, my friends, we are here to serve and satisfy. As the nature of the day states, I am coming at you with a review of the original Friday the 13th movie released back in 1980. And Before I get into this review, I just want to kind of take a quick uh, moment to talk about this day. Uh, There's only two days in the year where I feel like people talk about horror movies who aren't really big horror movies fans, and so that's Halloween. And also the occasional Friday the 13th we had. I uh, ended up in a meeting today at work, and the topic of Friday the 13th came up. And a couple of co-workers were discussing how uh, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, those kind of movies that, those slashers from the 80s that ended up having 10, 11, 12 different uh, follow-up movies to them, they can't appreciate anymore. They just feel campy like when they were kids. Oh, yeah, it was so much fun when we were kids, but it's just not good anymore. And that's just a little disappointing. And honestly, I think it's just a disservice having as many movies as those franchises has does to the movie. So the original original Friday the 13th and the original Nightmare on Elm Street especially, I think a lot of adults would be very surprised when they went back to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street with how gosh darn scary it actually is. Not only is it such a cool concept of uh, having a villain that only attacks you when you're sleeping, like that's that's just mind-boggling. That's like as good a concept you can make for me. I am genuinely scared of going to work when I have like a low amount of sleep. I can't even imagine trying to escape a serial killing, child molesting, burned face, sword, knuckle wielding man while I'm in like my most sleep deprived state. The only reprieve I have for that is to either face him or stay up another night. Oh, kudos Wes Craven, amazing concept. But unfortunately, that's just the kind of the nature of the horror genre is uh, a lot of people dismiss it for the slasher memes and the unfortunate follow-ups that is just seems like is a kill count and a, oh, I'm just going to kill you for the sake of killing you, which does a disservice to the original ideas and the original movies. But that's all we can do as horror fans is try to appreciate what we can appreciate and make others try to appreciate that as well. So Friday the 13th, uh, I've always had an opinion that's probably pretty controversial in that Friday the 13th, I think, is a... So I need to phrase this in the right way. So I enjoy Friday the 13th more than I do Nightmare on Elm Street. But I also admit that Nightmare on Elm Street is a better movie in just about every facet you could possibly imagine. So it's going to sound weird, but the reason why I think Friday the 13th is such a fun and good movie is not anything by itself as a standalone, but when you contextualize it 
and you look at the history of it and how many movies have taken concepts from it going down in the next 40 years. And so it makes it really special because you can see bits and pieces of some of your favorite movies of the last 25 years in the original Friday the 13th. And that's a pretty hard thing to do. Anytime you can do that as a horror movie, you are doing a darn good job. So, I mean, I unless you are been sleeping under a rock let's just get right into the uh let's get right into the review this movie came out in 1980 and so this was right in between the release of halloween which i think came out in 78 and nightmare on elm street which would have been 83 or 84 and honestly if you had to like make a timeline of slashers this is in the exact right spot released in 1980 based on those other two movies like Halloween, if you're going to do like the horror movie critique of being like campy and kitschy and just kills for the sake of kills, Halloween is a Halloween is the base. Friday the 13th is a small step up and the Nightmare on Elm Street is a step up from that. So it's on a spectrum. But the thing that makes this movie unique and a lot of fun is that it's based on a camp setting that I think a lot of people can relate to, uh, especially if you're from the Midwest. Going to camp is kind of just a part of your childhood. I went to a basketball camp and a Christian summer camp that are very similar in their makeup to Camp Crystal Lake. So being able to kind of touch on that childhood nostalgia but make it a whole lot spookier is a uh, very good recipe for success. So as I mentioned, a lot of people kind of write off this franchise. We are up to 12 unique movies in the uh, Friday the 13th franchise. 12, that's a lot. The uh, most recent one was a straight-up reboot, which came out in 2009. And I can't say I care for a ton of the sequels. I do really, really like Freddy vs. Jason. But once you get the concept for Friday the 13th especially, I think it becomes less of a necessity to watch any follow-ups unless you just fall in love with the character of uh, Jason Voorhees. But even then... I don't know. It's 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 hard to say like this is necessarily watching for big fans of the genre. If you really like slashers, go at it, but there's certainly things you could watch that are going to be more unique and a little bit more interesting. Friday the 13th back in 2017, uh, I found this out. They're still doing it apparently. iTunes is selling all of the Friday the 13th movies available at a very low low cost of $13. I hopped on that, have never used iTunes before, have never used iTunes since, but apparently it's worth it because I was able to watch Friday the 13th, the original, this year. So they are doing that all day. I don't know if it extends in the next couple days or not, but if you are interested in that kind of bargain, go to iTunes, hop on that deal, and snag some movies. And one more deal while I'm on the mention of deals that I want to mention. As we are getting into towards Halloween, Netflix is releasing a concept called Netflix and Chills, which is going to be a update of their horror selection, adding five new horror movies per week 
from September 27th until October 25th. So uh, if you are a big Netflix person, be on the lookout. You will have a lot more options as we get into the coming weeks leading up into Halloween. Okay. Now that I've got all that out of the way, let's just get straight into this movie. I realized very quickly, uh, I think, why I appreciate this movie to a certain extent. The soundtrack is so, so similar to Psycho, which I have mentioned multiple times, namely in our top 10 podcast. Psycho is one of my top three favorite horror movies of all time. Uh, Emulating that soundtrack is... uh, it's just a recipe for success. There's nothing to, nothing to, really, there's nothing you can go wrong by doing it. Another thing they do to kind of make themselves unique uh, is to introduce a third camera angle that we don't really know exactly why it's being introduced. We just know it's there and it is serving as a purpose to be a little little confusing a little spooky a little off like why why are we looking through multiple trees onto our cast as opposed to being just a direct camera view and also my favorite uh, favorite soundtrack which you i don't know if you can call it soundtrack but it's like the it's uh that very hyena high on like novocaine gas sounding soundtrack it's i can't i can't say it's scary but (laughs) i i've come to appreciate it and enjoy it all the same so what are you gonna do this movie is one of the earlier movies to very hardly jump on the trend of underage sex being bad And you don't have to wait very long in this movie to see that as a very large motif. Not even two minutes in, we see two camp counselors who are a little bit tired of singing Kumbaya around the campfire, decided a little hanky-panky might be a little bit more fun. And unfortunately, if you are a uh, camp counselor in a 70s or 80s horror movie, that is just about the best way you can write your own death certificate. And uh, two minutes in, we are introduced to our first two deaths. Just because these kids wanted to have a little fun, spend some extracurricular time together, and uh, brings a tear to your face. All right, so that's a flashback, or at least like a intro to the movie. What I don't, I still don't understand this. It was never explained, but uh, the camp that the attacks happened in my aforementioned uh, quote there, the camp is reopening, and we are introduced to one of our main characters, Annie, who is going to be one of the camp counselors, and she is just seemingly on a walkabout, and she is going through a very small town, trying to figure out exactly how far away she is from her predetermined destination of Camp Crystal Lake. She gets to the local diner and finds out she is 20 goddamn miles away. She has got a large backpack and has just been walking for seemingly I don't know how long and figures out she's 20 miles away. She has no idea how to get there. She asks, hey, can I catch a bus? And the town's like, this is, town has like 14 people in it. There's no buses that run here. Like, what's, what's the game plan there? 
How do you go and start a new job as a camp counselor in podunk nowhere and have absolutely no plan whatsoever as far as actually getting to your job? I maybe maybe I'm being a stickler for details. Uh, maybe I'm being realistic, but it just who 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 do you think you are? Like I guess if she's very cute, as is pointed out by a very very much older man than her that she is very attractive who ends up giving her a ride uh, most of the way to Camp Crystal Lake but what are you doing 20 miles away that's a uh, that's a large task to large task to try to make up kind of on the fly so we're already off to a good start uh, people making bad decisions seemingly nobody knows exactly what's going on so we are in the right ballpark for some things to start going fishy oh one more thing i didn't mention this before i started but i had no idea until i pulled up the imdb for this movie that it stars a young kevin bacon as one of the camp counselors and honestly i mean if we're being realistic this is probably the jumping off point for his uh his cinematography career so thank you uh to friday the 13th mr kevin bacon for a long luxurious career okay so annie eventually gets a ride and is getting taken to uh getting taken to camp crystal lake and unfortunately our driver who uh seemingly doesn't have much to do isn't able to take her the whole way so she gets dropped off halfway, and apparently this is what she was born to do. She's going to hitch up and walk the rest of the way. But thankfully for Annie, another hitchhiker come or another hitcher. No? What's, what's the term for somebody who is the driver of a hitchhiker? Because the hitcher of the movie, he's technically a hitchhiker. Hitchhike-y? Okay, let's go hitchhike Another hitchhike arrives, and she is able to snag a ride the rest of the way. Or so she thought, because we are immediately thrown into a loop when we see that same awkward third-person camera angle associated with the driver of this um, hitchhiking car, uh, given to the uh, same people we've been seeing in the woods staring at the camp counselors. Annie doesn't know it, but she is in for a rough ride. She sees the signs for Camp Crystal Lake, realizes that, okay, this is not a actual hitchhiker. We should have stopped. I'm asking her to stop. Need to stop. Dives out of the car. And uh, unfortunately, that is not the end of her story because the hitchhike pulls over, follows her, chases her into the woods, and Annie becomes our first real-time victim. R.I.P. You sweet, sensitive soul, Annie. All right. So now that Annie uh, unfortunately never made it to Camp Crystal Lake, she can't uh, hang out with her coworkers. Ever actually see what the uh, fruit of her labor could have been? We transition back to the five or so kids at the actual camp. This is a very funny scene because I relate with the girl who has this response. Uh, a girl finds a snake in her cabin and she calls for somebody to, hey, come help me. 
and uh, the guy comes running in. Oh, what's going on? There's a snake in here. And then everybody else comes running in, and they're like, what's going on? They're like, oh, there's a snake in here. And then one girl who comes in the second group says, then why are we in here? It's a great question. Uh, one that wasn't answered. Honestly, just if you can avoid snakes, stay away from them. Always try to do it. Okay. Sorry, that was just a tangent. I don't like snakes. I don't like sharks. Uh, I don't like anything that slithers or moves like a animal without a lot of bones. I guess sharks have a lot of bones. So do snakes, but they don't have vertebrates. Are sharks invertebrates too? I'm proving my lack of a science background here. Let's just say they are, but they, oh, there's no way they are. Anyway, they slither-ish. They swim back and forth that kind of how snakes move okay anyway s s animals be scared of s animals okay so we get to a very very cool scene here so we're about 45 minutes in now uh camp shenanigans are happening there's some swimming there's some ruckus there's some underage devil lettuce smoking kind of the uh, exact things you would expect at a camp of this nature Two of our uh, predetermined relationship camp counselors uh, eventually sneak off, and they end up doing the deed in one of the cabins. Unbeknownst to them, they have a fellow camp counselor sleeping permanently above them in the top bunk of their bed. And when I say sleeping permanently, I mean he has his throat slit, eyes open, just hanging out until whatever mortician comes to get him so as this couple finishes up the deed on the bottom bunk this is probably the absolute best scene of the movie our girl uh, gets off and then she gets off and goes to take a shower and as the boy is sitting there he pulls out a joint because why not it's the 80s and smoking doobies and kissing boobies that's that's all the rage so uh, he's smoking a joint until a droplet hits his forehead. And as he wipes away the droplet, he realizes it is red. And just about the time he has a chance to see that he is wiping away blood from his head, something from under the bed grabs his mouth and we see a knife protruding upwards through the mattress and through his chest. So there's an iconic uh, kill just like that in Nightmare on Elm Street. But honestly, this one is probably just a little bit better. Uh, just think about the pressure and force and length of that knife to go through the mattress and his sternum all in one false swoop. It was, uh, I was, I was fully anticipating based on how this movie started for most of the kills not to hold up to my memory of them, but this one uh, actually exceeded my wildest expectations for it. This was legitimately a very, very good kill. Uh, because as I say, so this movie, for the most part, outside of the one I just mentioned, doesn't rely on the visuals of the kills, but it, what it does is it uses strategic placement of bodies to provide a lot of shock factor, not only for the audience, but also for our characters as they slowly realize the extent of what is going on at Camp Crystal Lake. So now that we've got our couple um, 
unfortunately our our female couple in the sex partnership also gets tracked down she gets tracked down in the bathroom she has a very very cool scene it's one of those like communal camp bathrooms where there's like six different showers with the little pull away curtains she hears something in the bathroom and it's going one by one by one pulling each curtain seeing where that sound is coming from she never finds it until she turns around and finds an axe boom right in the skull but the scene of the bathroom is the scene of my second favorite moment of this movie because it is very strangers-esque we have another girl going to the bathroom and she's just washing her hands at the sink and we see a hand reach around to one of the curtains and kind of drag it back a little and then drag it right back i have always thought that the best part of a suspense or horror film is the moments in which you see something and then you've got time so you see something that is not right and then the movie lets your imagination run wild as to what might happen next because the moments of suspense that are created by the mind as to what might happen next are 99 times out of 100 going to be more visually, uh, or not more visually, but more impressive and more scary than what actually is going to be shown on screen. And to be able to do that with such a simple gesture as a hand slowly moving back a curtain, kudos to you, because that was, I'm, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it, let alone how I actually felt when I saw it. So my third favorite moment of the movie comes. Uh, so our, one of our very first scenes as our camp counselors are arriving, uh, we've got a horn dog of a guy who's just like, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to play and get laid. And he uh, walks up to the archery section as one of the girls is setting up some of the, what are they called? Targets, I guess. Yeah, setting up some of the targets. And he rifles one right past her head into a bullseye. She's like, what, what are you doing? You could have killed me. And uh, that girl eventually gets dragged out in the middle of a storm because she hears somebody calling for help. And we get to see quite, a, uh, quite an archery kill. So that's my third favorite scene. And as we are getting now into the climax of the movie, we are tasked with revealing and understanding the motives of the killer. At this point, so about an hour, maybe hour 10 in, we have no idea the ramifications, the extent, and the reason for whatever the killer has for doing what they are doing. We are left with our final girl, who actually is a fantastic final girl, Alice. Uh, she's been one of the stronger characters in the entire film. And now it's just her. She comes running outside, and she is met with a 50, 55-year-old woman in an argyle sweater with a frown that could make flowers wilt, a smile that could make flowers wilt even harder. The visuals on Mrs. Voorhees is just that she looks so pleasant but in the back of your mind, there is just alarm bells ringing. And to be able to do that with a character before it's even revealed, 
that she is uh, going to be the one who is behind the attacks on all of these camp counselors is just so good. Like you wouldn't expect this elderly, not I wouldn't say elderly, middle-aged woman in a sweater who has got a smile, <sighs> the smile that just is so unassuring. It's just so good. Her acting as she slowly reveals why she's involved with Camp Crystal Lake, the fact that her son uh, drowned due to a lack of supervision by camp counselors, and the slow pace at which her tone, her volume of voice raises, and we realize, along with Alice, that she is the one who has killed all of her friends. It's just such a well-done scene. I've already compared this movie a little bit to Psycho, and I think I have to compare it a little bit more just based on the relationship between Mrs. Voorhees and her dead son, Jason. Uh, it's very similar to Norman and Norma Bates. But it's you, if you can picture that scene from the end of Psycho where uh, Norman's having that dialogue and you can hear both voices of him and Norma inside his head, it's the exact same concept. And a lot of people maybe would try to say it's a derivative, uh, but I think the way it's done, I, it's they do a really good job with it. And this is coming from one of the one of the bigger psycho fans you'll hear. So as Alice uh, learns of Mrs. Voorhees' true intentions, we are uh, presented with a concept that is what so infuriating in horror movies, and that is characters not taking advantage of the double tap. The double tap is key. It is so key that the sequel to Zombieland is called Zombieland Double Tap. She, Alice had four chances where she knocked out, I'm putting knocked out in apostrophes and parentheses, uh, Mrs. Voorhees, where if you double tap her, guess what, Alice? You're good to go. But I, I guess I understand it. Alice is a teenager. She's seen her friends die. She probably isn't just ready to kill some middle-aged woman who's just really grieving her son but at the same point i don't know fight for your life a little bit yeah so my my last two quotes in a row were uh double tap and then learn the goddamn double tap and then finally you picked up a frying pan do a fucking double tap <laughs> so uh yeah this leads to a confrontation on the beach between Alice and Miss Voorhees. Uh, and this is actually really funny. Mama, J Mama Voorhees had the perfect shocked Pikachu face when Alice picked up the machete. She's like, no, that's mine. <laughs> and she absolutely beheads the ever-loving shit out of her. And um, But Alice makes a mistake after she kills Mrs. Voorhees. And if she would have gone to the future and watched parent trap she would have known it's never a good idea to fall asleep on the water just don't do it there's so many issues with it i mean what what, what benefit do you have i've seen i've seen recently that they're advertising these like all enclosed tents that are like buoyant that you can sleep on water what's what's the point i mean we saw the trend with water beds it didn't go well they popped and in general, weren't very comfortable. So I just don't get the idea behind that being a leisure activity. And Alice just just 
you you made it past Mrs. Voorhees. Why are you putting yourself at the risk of anything by just going to sleep in a canoe? And this movie actually does end in a really cool way. At this point, we are pretty much convinced the movie's about to end. Uh, we've seen our threat beheaded by a machete, or so we thought, because not three minutes left into the movie, Alice wakes up on her uh, canoe canoe ride, and as she is about to get rescued by the police officers who have finally made their way over, she gets pulled over by this little condom stretched over a skeleton ass Jason. And that scene is both shocking and hilarious and scary-ish at the same time. It's just so shocking. You expect the movie to be over. You have no idea that at this point, I mean, I guess I do now because I know that Jason Voorhees is the villain moving into the next 11 movies, but we had no idea. We had no reason to believe that Jason was going to become an actual factor here besides the little voice in Mrs. Voorhees' head. So uh, kudos for him for pulling his weight and literally pulling Alice into the river or the lake. And uh, yeah, Alice. But fortunately for her, she wakes up in a hospital bed and um, she finds out all of her friends are dead. And this movie ends with some fire quotes. Alice goes, but wait, what about what about the boy? And the police officers say, what do you mean? And she goes, the boy, the boy, Jason, the one who pulled me into the lake. And then we see the police officer kind of look at his partner and go, ma'am, we didn't find any boy. And then you get the John Mulaney, whoa, whoa. And that is Friday the 13th. So uh, thank you for joining me on this wild ride. I apologize for how unorganized this was. I just rewatched this movie right now, got on, tried to give you guys some content on Friday the 13th. We have a lot of exciting plans here moving forward. Uh, we've got some exciting movies in theater at Chapter 2. Ready or Not, which I think should be coming out to VOD pretty soon. And then uh, we've got some pretty specific and exciting plans that we are going to do for the month of October. So stay tuned, and you guys should be expecting an episode here coming up soon. And uh, as always, this has been Jumping Scared.